This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Hey everybody, welcome to Ian Weekly. I'm Todd DeVoe and I got my co-host, my trusty sidekick, <laughs> my trusty guy there, Dan Scott. Uh, Dan, Good morning. How, how, how you doing this morning, Dan? I'm doing all right, man. Just following your lead. Yeah, today, today's, been a, today's been a little bit of a weird day for me. Um, obviously, you can see here that I'm in studio. Uh, I, I had to drive, actually. It's weird to, to, to drive. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I drove all the way down here. It's, it used to be something I'd do on a daily basis, and now, yeah, I'm not, I'm not used to this whole driving thing. So, hey, Dan, you know, we've yes. been talking a lot about uh, getting a bigger seat at the table, right? As far as when I say we, emergency management in, in general. And, and I've been really thinking about this for a bit. I think, I, think I've been, I think I've been going down the wrong path a little bit and I, as I reflect. And I don't think it's about demanding that we have a seat at the table. I think it's the idea that we should uh, we have to prove our worth um, at the table, and um, you know that's kind of what it sounds like a bad joke, right? Like you know, how does the emergency manager get the seat at the table? But I, I really think it is, and it got me thinking because I was reading this article in Crisis Response Magazine. Um, if you guys do not subscribe to this magazine, it's it's really well worth it. There's an online version as well, and it's about where next for UK emergency planning. Um, and we do have nomenclature issues as well as what it means. And uh, today we actually have a guest from from the UK. And uh, Dan, why don't you go ahead and introduce him? So yeah, let's go bring on his uh, Luke Martin is an emergency management in, um, or he's an emergency manager, and he, he's in from the UK. He's in London. So if we could bring on Luke, that would be great to meet him this morning. Good morning, Luke. Nice to meet you. Hi. Good morning. How are you today? I'm um, <laughs> doing okay. <laughs> Uh, I forget how traffic really working from home is nice, and, and I forget how traffic really uh, uh, screws us up here in Southern California. And yeah, so that's my day today. <laughs> How's your day going, Luke? Um, yeah, so just come to the end of the day. So I'm the same as you, Todd. Back in the office five days a week now, um, doing the emergency response to COVID in the UK uh, for. Um, essentially an area of the UK that borders onto London um, and then kind of stretches up the centre of the UK um, and then touches on essentially the the eastern part of the country um, as, as you look at the, the map of the UK. Um, so lots of challenges, as I'm sure you've got over there. Uh, and, yeah, very busy, very busy at the moment. And sure. I think I'm going to get bit, bigger and busier. So... One of the things here in the crisis response uh, journal, um, I don't, do you read that journal? It's actually UK. Yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, so there's a great article in here. It says, uh, where next for UK emergency planning? And, and I don't think this is a, uh, a unique issue to the United Kingdom. Um, I, I think this is a, an issue that we have here in the United States as well. We have had some high-level emergency managers uh, resign from their position because they've been put on the sidelines when it comes to this COVID response. And and yes, in general here in the United States at least, 
you know, we look at COVID response, the pandemic response, as being primarily a epidemiology or public health issue, uh, but it really is an emergency management uh, problem as well. So, what, did you read that article by any chance, Luke? I'm just kind of curious. Um, yeah, I've had a look at the article. I think it's very interesting um, because um, I think there are some valid points um, in there because COVID. 19 has been predominantly in the UK led by um, our public health team um, supported by the NHS to actually deliver um, services to the general population and what that has meant for us in reality is it's it has been a very scientifically led incident it's been led by an organization called Public Health England um, which originally was was not really set up with an incident response role in mind. Um, they were, up until recent events, always seen as the, the providers of the scientific advice that sit there uh, as part of the incident response team, um, but don't generally have a, a leadership role. So whereas... Um, a lot of the media briefings over in the UK have actually had uh, been led by scientists, been led by the by clinicians, rather than your standard approach of an emergency manager or a, a senior executive from within the healthcare system or from within government leading those briefings. Um, and, and I think it, you're absolutely right. The, it's an interesting time to be in emergency management, and I think it's what will be more interesting is how this shapes what happens after COVID, if indeed at the moment there is life after COVID, depending on who you talk to. Absolutely. You know, one of the issues too, and, and I want to bring Dan here in a second here, but um, as emergency managers in the United States, and I, and I can only speak for the United States, and I'd love to hear your part of it too, you know, coming from, from the UK, is that, you know, public health, um, emergency management, especially at the higher education um, aspect of things, is that we've been we've been telling people for the longest time that we need to plan for pan flu. Uh, we create pandemic fl- and again. I know this is not the flu, but this is what we knew, right? When we always plan for our last battle, right, or our last disaster. So pandemic flu is what we we would call this pan flu plans. Uh, and so we were already leaning forward when it comes to to this crisis. We. There are things here that happened that we we're going to checklist right down to check. Yep, we thought this was going to happen. Yep, we we knew we were going to do social distancing. We knew we had these issues. We talked about social distancing under um, H1N1. You know, so I mean, this is not anything that we shouldn't be uh, shocked at. Yet it seems like, <clears throat> you know, in here they talk, they call them emergency planners in England. At least, at least it's an article. Is that is that the title that that most emergency managers have? They call them planners. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's emergency planner. Um, tends to be the generic job title um, because, again, historically, um, rightly or wrongly, um, as emergency managers, we've kind of then, when it comes to the response phase of an incident, sat on the side as a specialist advisor Mm. rather than, um, as happens in other countries around the world, being the one making the decisions, leading the response um, so, for example, if you take FEMA, a lot of their emergency managers, by my understanding, lead the response to incidents. They're the ones that are, to a certain degree, in my hot seat. 
over here it's very much uh, we sit on the shoulder of a person leading the response with a do you really want to be doing that? Should you be doing that? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So if you think of a little uh, character sat on the shoulder where you've got the uh, the devil and you've got the angel, <laughs> uh, essentially our job is to play both of those and right. keep them on, on track and make sure they're doing what they need to be doing. So and that's kind of my point is is that I, I, read, I did a piece yesterday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, um, about the death of the expert, and there's a book that was written here, uh, and and uh, and what it is is the idea that we aren't we the collective we the the world we if you will, um, we're not looking at experts, especially here in the United States, um, uh, with reverence or anything like this. We we really are very skeptical of them, and as somebody who is in that SME world, um, you know sometimes you get put you put on the sideline and the and. All that work you've been doing, like I said, pan flu, uh, has been kind of kicked to the side. And then there's articles in, in, in the um, Harvard Business Review, for instance, saying how CEOs around the world were caught off guard uh, by this uh, by the pan, by this event by by this crisis. And I'm like thinking well, they shouldn't be caught off guard. We've been telling them for for years. And Dan, I'm going to come to you now. Um, at, at higher education. It, this is something that we've been chim- you know chiming for a long time of having these you know business continuity plans specifically for higher ed how are you seeing this uh, play out and do you feel that emergency managers are being put on the sidelines as well um, in higher ed uh, I do and in in myself in, in the position I have at first you know it was it was um, it was shocking because in most positions I've been in it's been hard to get that that seat at the table as you had mentioned. Um, in here, though, it was it was it was different in the current position I'm at, and they they brought me to that seat, and they 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 listened to the, my experience and what I was telling them to do. But the program itself that I came into was was not an established program, so I was brought into uh, to do this program and to build this program, and then then COVID hit. So we were we were basically building a program throughout the crisis, and what I've seen, um, and, and this is an article that I just read yesterday that I saw is that. You know, there are positions and the people are either whether they're retiring out, quitting or being fired. Um, our communities and organizations are just are choosing not to then fill those positions. Mm. And it's in. And as you said, it is it, it. What is it? What is the What did the individual do that was in that position to be a change agent for the emergency management uh, profession and real and to let individuals know, let the organization, let the government, let the let the citizens know how important it is to have an emergency manager doing the job and why that position is so important. Um, and it, it, and ultimately, it boils down to something I've said many times: is we have people working in the position that should not be working in the position. They don't really know what they're doing, um, and you know. So and that's coming to light now, and that's being and that's one of those things now that we have to. It's, a, it's an obstacle to us, but it can also be a very great opportunity for us to show how important it is um, for emergency management. Luke, do you see the fact that the, this article kind of calls for it, uh, legislation to be enacted uh, to bolster emergency management or emergency planning in your case? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And I think just going back to your point earlier about CEOs being caught out. So I, I know this from personal experience. Um, as Daniel knows, I mean, prior to COVID, I was about to sign a contract to do some consultancy work for Virgin Airlines. Um, and literally right up until I think the middle of March, where obviously COVID had been a rising tide type of incident since January. Um, 
there was kind of, if you like, I think a lack of appreciation that COVID was about to hit and hit hard. It was only, I think, in March, having conversations with them, where all of a sudden um, it was, okay, we need to stop this piece of work around emergency management, business continuity, looking at all of our systems and processes and are they fit for purpose, are they where we need to be, Um, almost overnight to, okay, this is going to hit us, this is going to hit us hard, we now need to move into the... I guess, the response phase of an incident. Um, And, yeah, I mean, you look at the various different sectors. If you work in the public sector, as I'm sure it is in the States, you are legally mandated to do emergency management, emergency planning. If you look outside of the public sector, um, there are only certain industry sectors where, again, you are legally mandated to do emergency management. A lot of the private sector, a lot of these big companies... Um, yes, they have the teams. Yes, they do a bit of a tick box exercise. Do they take it seriously? Absolutely not. Um, and do they take pandemic flu planning or infectious disease planning seriously? No, because they think it's not going to happen. Um, but they can just send everybody home and everybody can work from home. Now, whilst that's been a good recovery strategy for some, um, if you talk about hospi- hospitality, leisure, travel, tourism... Um, it's had huge devastating effects here in the UK and also abroad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, so uh, we had a couple people that joined late and they're asking what's the name of the article. <clears throat> and it's in the Crisis Response Journal uh, right here. And the article is what, uh, Where Next for UK Emergency Planning? And it goes deep into the idea that emergency planners, and that's what they call emergency managers over in the UK, have been put on the sidelines uh, specifically during this COVID event. And, you know, you see this also for, for other events as, as well, and that we aren't, they aren't using the, the collective they, you know, other nations as well and, and areas aren't using the expertise of the emergency managers um, that they could be using. So let's, let's, let's jump on a quick break here. And then when we come back, let's discuss this a little bit more and how we can actually prove our worth. The Outer Limits Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of medical or traumatic injuries often seen during austere conditions. Whether it is when you are on the outdoor adventure or your team has responded to a major crisis, the Outer Limit Supply Company provides practical, user-friendly first aid and trauma kits that anyone can use. If you enter EM Weekly at checkout, you'll receive 20% off your purchase. So go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed Mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Are you looking for that bag to help you keep organized as you travel around, something you could carry with you every day? Well, VanQuest was founded with a simple mission. Fill the toughest bags and packs 
for you to carry every day and to help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011, and their bags and packs are trusted by the clients such as the FBI, U.S. Secret Service, and U.S. SOCOM. Yes, that is the U.S. Special Operations Command. Their bags and packs offer the best organization for the user-friendly experience, such as the high-visibility interior for the users. And I'm telling you something, I love that orange inside the bag because I can find the things I need quickly. I love my VanQuest bag. Don't forget, they offer free shipping, 100-day return guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. And if you put in EM Weekly, all caps, all one word, you get 10% off your total purchase. VanQuest.com. Well, welcome back uh, from the quick break. And thank you for listening to our sponsors. And please, please reach out to them and, and let them know that you heard them here. And you know what? I mean, like with VanQuest and also um, with the Outer Limit Supply, both of those have uh, pretty decent uh, discounts if you use the EM Weekly discount code on those things. So that's something that we we're really happy to share with our listeners. You know, so going going back to this, right? And and again, I don't, I don't want to make this sound like we're, you know, a bunch of emergency managers are complaining about not being on the job or whatever. But the idea is that, you know, we go through this process, we plan for these things. Um, and then and then on game day here, it seems like a lot of people have been put on the sidelines, which is, you know, maybe it's okay if that's part of the plan. Um, but the thing is, is instead of complaining about this, we have to do, as I said, the collective we again, um, have to do a better job of, of showing our worth and not just for the COVID, right? I mean, COVID just happens to be the conversation that we're having. But what is the real worth of emergency management? Why why is it that some organizations in some cities uh, feel that they can have a collateral duty person um, uh, come in and, and do the position of something that's really uh, – there's there's own skill set and, and there's technical aspects of things of emergency management. It's not just the response, right? It's the planning. It's the exercises. It's the the, the, the grants. It's the everything else that's associated with, with being an emergency manager. So, Luke, I'm going to put this to you. What can we do uh, to to actually show our worth and, and show that we're worth being on the field during game day? I think the the first thing is it's about building awareness of all of the effort, all of the work that actually goes into getting an organization ready for a disruptive incident. Um, all too often, I think emergency managers are underestimated, undervalued. Uh, by organizations because you're seen as um, or emergency management um, or emergency planning is seen as something that doesn't bring money into the business and I think that's one of the key things that needs needs to change is we may not bring money into the bottom line we may not bring sales in but actually when something happens we're the ones that keep your business afloat Mm -hmm. we're the ones that can keep your business going your educational institution going um and all too often um the reason we struggle to have that seat at the table is often the function is buried away within the corporate structure um that there's no nobody from an executive level that takes it seriously and i think until we can do that cultural change um that's going to be an issue i think the other big issue as well is there is an awful lot of misconception within the industry that you have to have a degree from a university um, in order to be able to do emergency management for the big corporates. And I think, again, the big change there is it's not all about education. 
Um, you can have all of the degrees under the sun. Does that make you a good emergency manager? No, it doesn't. Um, and I think it's all about recognizing that there are a lot of people within the industry who haven't got that first class degree from a university, haven't got all those certifications from college, but actually um, have spent 10, 15 years actually living and breathing emergency management, working their way up through the corporate structure um, and actually have a lot to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And this starts right at, I guess, school. It's also about inspiring people to come into the profession and to shout about how good uh, the profession is and how valuable it is. I mean, engagement with college students, engagement with university students, um, dispelling this myth around needing to have a degree to do it. Um, I think are some of the key areas that we need to work on um, as an industry. And I think also it's dispelling the some of the current challenges which... In a lot of areas, emergency management is kind of seen as the uh, retirement posting for kind of law enforcement, uh, fire, EMS. It's the job you go to once you've done your your 20 years service as a, there you go, have a nice, easy job until you, you post to retirement. Not saying it's the same across all areas, but certainly you tend to find a lot of the long-term emergency planners are these ex-police officers that have retired um, still want to continue working so they've decided to go into the field of emergency management mm-hmm. um, and I think the last one is there needs to be some house clearing there are some very good emergency managers but there are also some very poor ones um, and as you say you're only as good as the last incident you've handled so if you have an emergency manager that managed the situation poorly that doesn't help the the reputation of a profession. Right. So, Dan, you know, we talked about this before, and and Brock Long specifically has, has publicly said we need to get um, emergency management out of, as he says, the lights and sirens, or that is the first response agencies uh, that, that tend to do it. They do first response really well. Um, they do emergency management poorly. Um, where do you think emergency management really should sit then, Dan? They should have their, I mean, ultimately, and this is what we see, and this is what I see in organizations and in in, in government, is that they are four, uh, sometimes four and five times removed from leadership and decision-making um, um, areas that they need to be sitting at the table. They need, when uh, when I worked in Waco, uh, we were, you know, you had the, the, you had the police department, you had the fire department, and then you had emergency management. So they had a seat at the table. Um, and then you have individuals that say, well, that's not that doesn't seem right. And they want to come in and they want to move that emergency management down and away and underneath other people. That And it, what that does is it limits the emergency manager, because I, as an emergency manager, say we need to be doing X, Y, Z to my boss. And my boss says, no, we don't. And never goes any further than that. Right. That's the kind of things that we see happening all the time, especially when they're fourth and fifth removed and they're they're a, a police sergeant or they're a, a fire captain and they go to their boss and they say, we need to be doing X, Y, Z so I can do my job. And the, they say, no, we don't because they don't want to take it to the top. They don't think it's worth the money. They don't think it's worth the time. So that's, that's an area that, that really limits us in, in how we do our jobs. Uh, emergency management should in itself be removed from those 
um, obstacles and placed on its own. And, and the ones, the, op- the offices and the departments and the, that do the best are the ones that are uh, an established department or office that answer directly to um, the leadership or sit at the table and are part of the leadership. Yeah. Those are the ones that do the best. Um, because they have a voice because when they go to somebody and say, we need to do X, Y, Z, they're talking to the people that make the decisions if they're not making decisions themselves. So that's where emergency management needs to be removed from lights and sirens. I agree. And we need to stop with the the tactical casual as as it's referred to. And we need to be put in the position at the table of leadership. Yeah, I mean, New York City did a great job of, of revamping and, and, and bolstered up their OEM office, the Office of Emergency Management, um, obviously after 9-11 under Rudy Giuliani, um, and has increased the, the, you know, the agency from what was like 25 or 30 people to, like, I think it's almost 200 people now that are in that agency. And, you know, they're doing emergency management separate from FDNY, separate from NYPD, you know, uh, and it's, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a larger city and they have other issues that are associated with it, but that's a really great example of, of a city being progressive and moving forward and leaning that way uh, to be able to have a, a good emergency management agency uh, that is separate from, from lights and sirens. Luke, do you see the same issues in, in England that, that we're seeing here in the United States as far <coughs> as, you know, People being two, three, four, you know, levels down uh, the the chain of command in order to get, you know, affect change, if you will. Um, I think it varies depending on um, the type of organisation. For example, if I take uh, my current role, um, I work as part of the operations team uh, within a healthcare organisation. Um, but I have nobody between me and the director who's ultimately accountable. So it's a case of I go to her, say we need to do this, um, it gets done. Um, the other thing from my point of view is I also sit on a lot of those strategic and tactical meetings as the single point of contact for the organisation. So I count myself very lucky. Um, but then if I go back to... Um, a role I did in private sector, absolutely, I was five layers below executive management with exactly what Daniel referred to. Um, I'd go to my line manager and say, we need to do this, we need to do that, because otherwise we're going to have problems. If they didn't like it or it didn't make them look good, it just got stopped then and there and never got pushed up um, the chain. Um, So, yeah, I think it, it does happen. And unfortunately, I think it's, as redundancies happen, as companies look to streamline, unfortunately, one of the roles which tends to go is the the emergency management specialist. Everybody's like, oh, I can get somebody else to do it within the organization and they can do it as part of their job. Right. So it, so it gets, it gets signed, sidelined. And I think, Daniel, you've probably seen that over the years as well, but it, it gets pushed out. Um, or the blue lights refuse to give it up and say, no, this is ours, this is part of what you're paying us for. Um, why should we give it up? There's nobody else with our experience. Right. So almost like a, a kingdom building, if you will, right? You know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, um, and they, this kind of goes into this, and, and I'm, I'm sorry I can't read it from, from my computer right here, but one of the uh, the, the listeners, uh, Brian, if you could please put this, this quote up, the idea that layoffs are coming to New York City um, 
uh, OEM. And, and I think that's you're you're absolutely right. And the, the one of the issues happens is like when we start seeing budget cuts, um, emergency management is one of those first places that gets cut. And I, I was told one time that the reason why they cut at emergency management is because they can cut that with um, less friction was the term that was was used. Less friction of, of reason why they're cutting the emergency management position. Um, you know, I, I guess. I guess when you look at core services, you know, residents and whatnot uh, want to see license irons on the street. So I can understand that decision. But why is it less friction to cut, especially here in California, right? When we have wildfires that happen and all these other disasters that occur, uh, the planning, the, the the idea behind that, the training that goes into those, and then also the recovery aspect of it, which everybody does poorly. We do recovery poorly here in the United States. Uh, Dan, why is it that? Emergency management is the first line item to be cut because they're less visible and they're less vocal, um, and, and and that's and that's you know that's that's the accuracy right there is that they're they're less visible. People don't know exactly why they're important, who they are, where they're located, but they do have money allocated to them. In, in if you're lucky, and then that money gets it's easier to pull to to shave a little bit and not be noticed. Than to take away from the those that are more public, like our fire and our EMS and our and our PD, um, because they're visible. It's a visible thing, and they're more and they're more vocal. They're some a lot of time a lot of times they're they're in the public eye. It's very political. They're unionized. These are all things that that take place that it's it's harder to t- take the money away from from those areas. But it also is the individuals that are in the jobs um, that ultimately don't fight and speak up. It's an individual thing too. When you got one person running running an emergency management office, and it's easy to say, "Okay, goodbye to that one person," right? right. And you know, so yeah, and that happens a lot. It really does. Or in in we, I've seen large universities just recently that would say, "Okay, we're going to get rid of our emergency manager, and we're going to we're going to divvy up their job responsibilities to risk management." Public safety, our fight, and it's like that doesn't do the ju- that doesn't do justice. It doesn't do justice to your organization. It doesn't do just justice to the community that you're supposed to be serving, and it, ultimately it does harm to the community. But yeah, you're right. We spend so much more money on response and recovery when we should be spending our money on mitigation, prevention, and preparedness. That, but it's harder to show because we can see. That's what it is visually, like you just said, we can see response and recovery. We can't see the things we prevent, mitigate, and prepare for. With some money up front, people don't want to spend that money up front, and there's no return on investment to them. I'm telling you, Shalom over here, he's uh, um, uh, in my head today. He's completely in my head. The question that I was about to ask was: Now we're starting to see a lot more people going, or organizations uh, going with contract emergency management, bringing them in, um, specifically, you know, for for different. Uh, uh, one-off projects, right? Uh, whether they're coming into the after-action reports, uh, like I've seen a lot of this happen here. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are in the contract business that are that are doing well, uh, that are being brought in to, to do different short-term um, things uh, for cities. Would would we or could we see emergency management be more of a um, as-needed contract basis? Um, and not somebody who's sitting in an office uh, for, you know, and, and on that budgeting aspect of it. Is that something that is a trend that we're going to see go forward? Or is this just because we're so overwhelmed with COVID that we're bringing more contracts in? And Luke, I'll go with you first. 
Um, I think I think emergency management is becoming more of a uh, contract as and when basis. Um, certainly around. Um, I mean, we've seen certain government organisations in the UK spending millions and millions of pounds bringing in um, contractors to manage certain elements of the COVID response. Um, we've seen other healthcare organisations suddenly realising they need to bring in extra additional support um, because of the demand and the pressures. And let's let's not not forget as well, there is a need to be able to not only respond, respond to the current global emergency, but actually you still have uh, mass shooting incidents, you'll still get earthquakes, you'll still get wildfires, where organisations have drained their resource pool right down. Um, the ability to manage concurrent incidents has almost disappeared. And I think the only way you can then ma- manage those concurrent incidents is to almost bring it in as a service to your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel, I mean, do you see more, um, do you see more contracting type stuff up in higher education? Uh, you know, is it, is it easier to have one person, like you said before, a one-man shop or one-person shop, and then uh, bring in contractors as needed? And, and then the other question on that is, if that's the case, um, how do you rank <laughs> high enough on their level that if there's a multiple jurisdiction age event that you get people in your EOC to help you out? Well, I think I think consulting is, is a good thing, and it's, it could be very beneficial, but it's a short-sighted, short-term solution. Um, you can bring people in to, to help you write grants and you can help bring people in to help you write plans. And but who's going to maintain them? Who's going to exercise them? Who's going to train to them? Uh, who's going to keep a program up and running? It's going to be, it's going to be a full-time individual that's helping that. If not a full-time office and department, a team of individuals to do that and do that properly. Uh, consulting, it, 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 it can bring a lot of benefits to an organization if you utilize it correctly. Um, in it, but it is short term and short sighted as far as um, emergency management. It's a big picture. It's long term. Um, we prepare for, we plan for, we exercise for things that we don't know when and if they're going to happen. Um, and but it, ultimately, you get a, a consulting company comes in and writes you a plan that goes sits on the shelf, so you can say you have a plan. Never gets updated. Never gets exercised. Never gets trained to. Um, so it, it can be very beneficial uh, consulting. I consult myself. Um, but it is short-term thinking. I can go in and I can do a train. I can write a plan. Um, I can I can run an exercise. Who's going to maintain that when I leave? Right, right, right. That's the important aspect of it. You know, that's the thing too. Is is one of the things that I really highly am fighting for as far as, as far as planning goes, emergency management plans, business continuity plans, is to make that document something that you have to that you should look at when you're making decisions on. You know whether you're building a new building or or, or adding more services or whatever. Take a look at that plan to see if it's if it's in line with that plan and whether that plan needs to be changed. I want to bring producer Brian in um, up on here for a second because he he he's a sale he was a you know former salesman um, and he really fights a lot about the idea of not fights I shouldn't say but supports the idea of that everybody is always selling right and uh, and then he also always tells me that we have to be our best cheerleaders um, out there. Brian, what, tell me a little bit about that concept of emergency management and the idea that they always have to be selling. 
a, a couple of things with that. You need to sell yourself to those you're serving. Most people have no clue what an emergency manager is um, and, and what benefit they bring to a community. So if you're not educating them or selling yourself and your services to them, they're not going to be likely to support you if budgets are being cut in front mm-hmm. of the city council, if you will, if that's your scenario. Um, you're always selling yourself up to your chain of command how important you are. You know, for example, I heard of an EM that was working on a college campus who was let go. And it's, yes, you're 100% right. There is less friction because nobody knows who you are or what you do. You sit in a room and you type and you work plans. And every once in a while you get in a room and you tabletop or on a weekend when nobody's around, you're setting (coughs) cones up and doing drills when nobody's there to see. Um, So they were cut and then they realized how much hot water they were in because, oh, crap, we have grant money. These plans need to be maintained. This equipment needs to be maintained. Who who used to do this? Well, that guy you just let go. I mean, so, A, you need to always be selling yourself up of your importance, your value, money. You always need to be asking for money. I mean, an EM's budget being cut, that should be a hard fight. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't be, oh, I've got less money next year. Screw these people. You know, but it's... You've got to fight. You've got to prove your worth. And then you've got to sell yourself to those you serve so they know how important you are and they will help you fight that uphill battle. Laura writes, um, we need more advocacy and influence among our elected officials. And as a mayor of our city and former EM, she goes, I'm in the position to support our EM program. And you're absolutely right, Laura. Uh, By the way, hey, Laura. Laura's great. Uh, So, so no, absolutely. You're you're right. I mean, we do need to have um, emergency management being supported by elected officials. And I, I, it's one of those things like, do we make it to where it's painful for when, you know, we have to cut the EM? Because like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I, I'm a former parks commissioner. So, you know, I, I'm going to use this as my experience. You know, you know, is, is it better to cut the EM position or cut services such as, you know, I don't know, some parks issues that are happening, like say, um, you know, dance class or something like along those lines. You know, what what has a more impact? Yeah, you're going to make the people who are going to the dance class a little upset. But at the end of the day, when the earthquake occurs, does the dance class really help out um, with, with that response and recovery aspect of things? And so, you know, you know, why is it that the dance instructor um, has more pull than the emergency manager? And I always find that kind of interesting. So, so Luke, kind of going back into this, so what, to what Brian was saying, and kind of what Laura was saying as well here, is how do we as emergency managers, as an organization, whether we're using our, our like the International Association of Emergency Managers um, or, or organizations like that, how do we get influence into the elected officials to be able to make sure that the emergency management is not being cut? Um, and then I want to go on here as well. There's one other quote that was on here that I just saw. And it's the idea of asking the question, can this job be done uh, without emergency management? Um, and and I, want, I want to answer that question really first for Brian. You, you, Brian, whether the emergency manager isn't doing – this is uh, Brian Matthews – whether the emergency manager isn't doing the job, right, because this position has been cut, but somebody else is going to fulfill that role. Right. So so the mission has EM support in some way, large scale fires and, and, and whatnot. But that goes back to if you think that 
It's being done well. And so it's kind of a twofold. How do we make people go, yes, the EM is an essential portion of this response? And how do we get the elected officials to understand that if you cut the emergency manager position, that there's ramifications for the public, for their voters? Luke? Um, yeah, I think that there's several ways to do it. One is absolutely, as Laura said, is advocacy towards elected officials. Um, it, it's about engaging with them and making them aware of actually if you want to keep and this is an approach I've had to use with, with several clients over here is if you want to keep your job, if you want to keep your, your, your business, your organization running, if you want to get back into office, emergency management is one of the key areas that you need to maintain. Um, there are other things like you say, through the international association of emergency managers through various other, organizations it's about um it's also is turning the profession into something that whilst i'm not saying go down the route of everybody's got to have a degree but some kind of vocational qualification that is actually recognized by people as being worthwhile um so for example as a certificate in emergency management is one there's if you look at the business continuity institute there's a there's a similar one there it's about developing the profession into something that is professional that that um if you're a paramedic for example you have to keep studying um if you are a an elected official a a city mayor you're held to account by those people that elected you into the into the post. Mm -hmm. It's about being visible. It's about being accountable. Um, and is a part of it is also is the general public. I think people say to me, "Well, I have no clue what you do as an emergency planner. <laughs> De describe it to me." Um, and the, the simplest terminology is, "I keep the wheels on the bus um, turning." whenever things going wrong and I stop the bus from tipping over that 20 foot cliff <laughs> and I keep everybody inside the bus safe. Right. It's about simplifying it, but it's about getting it out there. Um, it's things like engagement with everybody. So public sector, private sector, through events, through articles, such as the, what we we've been discussing today. Um, it's about getting it out there and getting it recognised that actually we now understand what an emergency manager does, we now understand what an emergency planner does and we recognise it's important mm -hmm. um, and to pick up on your producer's comment, absolutely it's about sell not only selling yourself but it's about selling the concept of emergency management all the time Absolutely, I, I stole Craig Fugate's uh, analogy of, of what we do as football coaches where we do the plays, we practice, we practice, we practice on game day. We kind of are on the sidelines just sort of uh, uh, calling in the audibles or whatever the things we're going to call in the plays if we need to do so. So it's in that. So we are we, we are running way over today. Um, we, we could talk about this for, for days and and, uh, and still not come up with a solution right away. And I want to say thank you for everybody who was um, – 
out there, you know, with us today posting and, and asking good questions. And I, I wish I could get to every single one of them. Um, obviously, this conversation is, is can go on for longer. And please keep posting and, and let's have this conversation. And if you haven't read the article, again, it's a crisis response journal. It's a great magazine. If, if you don't belong, it's a little expensive when it comes to magazines, but it's not a magazine. It's a journal. It's a professional publication. Um, and the article is um, – where next for UK emergency planning and emergency planning in the United, in the United Kingdom is the same as the United States emergency management um, and where we're going from there. Daniel, any, any parting words before we uh, wrap this up completely? Yeah, I would just say um, ultimately to, to piggyback off of Luke is, is we need to be visible um, and, we need to, and we need to build other cheerleaders. It's great to be our own cheerleader. It's great, but we need to be visible. We need to be showing people what we're doing. And a real emergency manager doesn't sit in his office all day and type. They're out and about. They're talking to people. They're visible. They're doing they're, they're doing drills. They're doing training. Um, they're interacting with people. And they're building partnerships and they're building a sense of belonging to that community. And if you're doing that correctly, you're building others to cheerlead, cheerlead for you as well. You can be your own voice, which you should be. You should be speaking up. You should be letting people know what you're doing, why you're doing it. We should have others uh, as well on your, uh, that have your back that are saying exactly the same thing. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, everybody, again, thank you so much for spending time with us here uh, at the Ian Weekly Show. Please follow us on your favorite podcast player, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. We're here, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. And share us, share us. <laughs> share, yes, share us, yes. Please share us. Stay safe, stay hydrated. Stay hydrated.